Pitchers and catchers playing in the World Baseball Classic will report to spring training one week from today. As I speak, college baseball is underway. All evidence signs that spring is in the air. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! Baseball is the greatest game on planet Earth. And the greatest competition within the game is the matchup between pitcher and batter. Mano Imano from 60 feet 6 inches. Whatever else happens in a baseball game, and plenty of exciting things always do, the pitcher batter confrontation is where it all begins. I want to spend time in this episode looking more closely at that competition. And we're going to do so in, I guess, maybe an unusual way. But before we get to that, I first want to bring to your attention a signing which took place last week a signing that will allow a batter to be a part of these matchups throughout the 2023 season. And like anything else, when we're speaking of the future, we always need to say Lord willing. Now, this person will almost certainly hit from different spots in the lineup, but he will definitely hit penciled in at a number of different defensive positions. This signing last week is an under-the-radar signing unless you're a Seattle Mariner fan. Dylan Moore, who's 30 years old, signed a three-year contract valued at just under $9 million. He can have it increased to being just north of $9 million. Over the last four seasons, he has played every position for the Mariners except catcher. He's even pitched one inning, but he's played the other seven positions on a regular basis. Dylan Moore is not a household name. He's not even an everyday position player at a particular position, a regular. But he is an important component to a Seattle Mariners team that is expected to have a good 2023 season. Dylan Moore was drafted in the seventh round by the Texas Rangers in 2015. He was traded the next season to Atlanta. He played minor league baseball for the Braves in 2016 and 2017. At the end of spring training in 2018, he was released by the Atlanta Braves. A couple of days later, he was signed by the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers had him play at AA and AAA throughout the 2018 season. And then on November 2nd, 2018, the Brewers granted Dylan Moore free agency. A week later, he was signed by the Mariners. Now, I bring up stories like this because I always enjoy bringing up stories of people that have persevered, that have gone through trials, that have overcome obstacles, and then are being rewarded for it. But in this case, I also bring it up because I had the opportunity of watching Dylan Moore play the game in 2018, both in AA, Biloxi, as well as AAA for the Brewers. Early in the year when he was at AA, it was probably my first trip through Biloxi, and my job as a pitching coordinator was to travel to our various teams, so go to the various cities where our teams either played their home games or when they were on the road, usually for five days, watch the team, and then send a report back to my bosses about pitching stuff. 
So it could be about the pitching coach, about the pitchers, how they performed, what I thought about their future, those kinds of things. And I think I did a good job of staying in my lane. That's the kind of stuff that I sent. However, when I was in Biloxi early in the 2018 season, I was sitting in the stands and I said, I I just got to send something. And so I sent a text to one of my bosses, Eduardo Brazuela. He's been on this show. And I said, Eduardo, uh, I don't want to go out of my lane here, but I'm just going to say this. I do not know why the Braves released Dylan Moore, but I am sure glad that we have signed him. This guy can play the game of baseball. As I mentioned, Dylan Moore is not currently and may never be a household name, but Dylan Moore is a baseball player, and that's a high compliment. I think it's one of the great compliments you can give to somebody that plays the game. He plays the game the right way. He plays the game in order to help his team win. He will do what he needs to do, whether he's going to play shortstop or right field or third base, whatever it might be, he will do what it takes to help his team win games, steal bases, whatever it is. And I appreciate that about him and about anybody who plays the game that way, including even Hall of Famers. And we're going to interact with a couple of men who are Hall of Famers, who are household names. We're going to interact with them as it regards the pitcher-batter matchup. I'm going to do so in, I don't know if I can call it unique, but an unusual way, at least what I've never done, interact with these men through a book. The book is 60 feet 6 inches, a Hall of Fame pitcher, and a Hall of Fame hitter talk about how the game is played. It is written by Lonnie Wheeler. Now, there are some Hall of Famers on the back cover of this book, or the dust jacket, that have comments about the book. Willie Mays wrote, If you want to understand baseball's game inside the game, between the pitcher and the hitter, this is it. Two of the greats have written a classic. Hall of Famer Joe Morgan. These conversations are usually heard only in Cooperstown during Hall of Fame weekends. Two giants of baseball discussing the game they love. This is a fun book. One final Hall of Famer. There are more on the back here, but one final that I'll quote from, George Brett. Two good friends got together to talk about the game we love in a book that makes you feel like you're sitting on a couch and talking to two of the best who ever played the game. Ask a question and you get an answer. Great insight for the baseball fan or baseball player. Now, if you are unfamiliar with this book, you're probably saying to yourself, all right, Mark, I got it. Great. It's a great book. But who are these men? Well, the Hall of Fame pitcher is this man. There are few pitchers in the history of the game who evoked the kind of fear in hitters that Bob Gibson did. I can honestly say he is the most competitive pitcher I ever met. It was his mound. It was his game. I love the fire in his eyes. You could see it even in in the old television. And that fire burned brightest in the 60s, the apex of Gibby's 17-year career as a Cardinal. He wanted to beat you, and he would do just about anything he could do. He had that spoon motion, you know. Everything a good pitcher possessed, he had it. There was always that mystique by Bob. He was one of the t- toughest pitchers I ever faced. And I told you what, it, this is one thing I, I didn't tell a lot of people, but my wife used to go to the restroom when I faced in Gibby. She don't want to see it, <laughs> I guess. 
1968, the year of the pitcher, Gibson made the loudest statement. He became the most difficult pitcher to score on in the history of baseball with a 1.12 ERA. He was a machine. 1.12 ERA. That's silly. A mind-boggling ERA and 13 shutouts on the year. And then when it got to the World Series, he strikes out 17 Tigers in one of the most intimidating performances you'll ever see. Bob completed eight of nine World Series starts and finished what he began 255 times in his career. Has plenty of smoke. Come 1974, the men they called Hoot became the first National League pitcher and just the second ever to strike out 3,000 batters. I wouldn't want to bet against Gibson. He'd beat you somehow. He would just do something to make his team win. So Bob Gibson is the Hall of Fame pitcher. Now, outside of the narrator of that piece, the voices you heard were three Hall of Fame players, Don Sutton, Willie McCovey, and Tony Perez. It was Tony Perez who talked about his wife going to the restroom when he had to face Bob Gibson. You also heard from Marty Noble, who spoke a couple of times, including he was the last man to speak. He was a longtime reporter for the Mets from 1969 until the end of his career and his death just a few years back. Steve Blass, who was a former Major League pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates and longtime broadcaster for the Pirates, also spoke. And then historian Jim Thorne. One voice I trust that you recognize because he is a very well-known voice in athletics and especially in baseball was Bob Costas. So Bob Gibson is the pitcher. The hitter? He starts running now, but he just stood there and looked at it. Now he's going after him again. And Jackson got him this time. Here they come, and there they go. And Bobby Brown and Rich <laughs> and Oscar Gamble carry the triumphant gladiator off the field. That is, is a great video. You should look it up. So Reggie Jackson hits a bomb, home run, right center field. John Denny is the pitcher. And you can't see it because the cameras are on the ball, but as you could hear, Reggie stood and admired his home run for a lengthy period of time, far more than John Denny thought was appropriate. So John Denny let Reggie Jackson know that he thought it was inappropriate. Reggie Jackson comes across home plate and immediately charges the mound and tackles John Denny. The bench is clear, of course. There's a brawl. And then what is really funny is Yankee teammates, Bobby Brown and Oscar Gamble, are literally carrying Reggie off the field toward the dugout, not pushing him. Reggie is horizontal, parallel to the ground as they are carrying him. And while they are doing so, he is clapping with enthusiasm. It's a great clip. So, the Hall of Fame pitcher, Bob Gibson. The Hall of Fame hitter, Reggie Jackson. Now, this book was written in 2009. Sometime after it was written in 2009, I was driving back from somewhere and heading through the southeast part of Kentucky. And I was flipping through the radio stations, and I heard Bob Gibson and Reggie Jackson being interviewed and talking about this book. So immediately, I went and bought the book, and I read it. And after doing so, 
I said to every single pitcher I had, this is a must-read book for you. And I'm now saying it to you. If you're a baseball fan and you have not read this book, go get it. It is a must-read book. The book has 11 chapters. And in this episode, I want to interact with chapter 1. Chapter 1 is titled, The Pitched Battle. And in each chapter, including chapter 1, there are subsections. The very first subsection in chapter 1 has the heading, Any Little Edge. And Reggie Jackson opens this book, or they use Reggie Jackson's comments to open this book. Reggie said this, When I hit, I felt like I was in control of the home plate area. And it was important that I felt that way. If I let a pitcher control it, it would give him an advantage. There are at least three kinds of advantages that pitcher and batter contest. There's the physical advantage, their strategic advantage, and also the psychological advantage. I didn't want two out of three. I wanted them all. Remember, any little edge is the heading of this portion of the chapter. And Reggie says something that is absolutely essential, both for the hitter and the pitcher. You have to feel, you have to believe that you are in control of the home plate area. Because if the pitcher is in control, advantage him. If the hitter, advantage to the hitter. You want the advantage. You've got to believe you're in control. Now, as a former pitcher and pitching coach, I told myself and pitchers, you can never allow the batter to think that that plate is his. That's your plate. But Reggie sees that. And then he goes on to talk about at least three kinds of advantages. Pitcher and hitter are trying to win a contest in these three areas at least. The physical advantage. We might refer to this for the player, let's say, as the tools, for the pitcher as his stuff. Sometimes the batter has great tools and the pitcher does not have great stuff. Sometimes the pitcher has great stuff and the batter not so great at tools. But that's only one. Secondly, there is the strategic advantage. Understanding the game, understanding the pitcher you're facing or the batter you're facing, understanding your history, reading swings if you're a pitcher, trying to figure out if the pitcher is doing anything to tip his pitches if you're the batter. Of course, this is where data and analytics can give both pitchers and hitters even more information that they can keep up there as well. But there's a third component, the psychological advantage. You see, a guy can have all of the tools in the world, let's say as a hitter, or the great stuff as a pitcher. The person can have a lot of information in their head. But if they do not get into that box, if they do not step onto that mound thinking, I am going to win this battle, two out of three is bad. This is very, very important. Whether it's stepping into the box as a hitter, stepping onto the rubber as a pitcher, you need to have what a, a former a friend of mine who worked in baseball said, the three big C's, competitiveness, concentration, and confidence. The next section of this chapter is titled War Games. And now I'm going to quote from Bob Gibson. And he's dealing with pitching to guys like Reggie Jackson and pitching inside to guys like Reggie Jackson. Gibson said this, What pitchers are really afraid of is their own control. They don't truly believe that they can get a pitch in there exactly where they want it. They know that if they miss in the wrong place, a power hitter will knock the crap out of it. But you can't go out there with the attitude that you're going to miss your spot. 
You can't go out there afraid of the hitter or afraid of yourself. You've got to respect the hitter, though, some more than others, of course, and you've got to respect yourself. That is huge on a couple of components or a couple of areas. One is every batter that steps into the batter's box, regardless of he if he is a, a guy that just got called up from the minor leagues, if he's a guy that's hitting a buck 80, or he's a future Hall of Famer, every guy that steps into the batter's box, if you're a pitcher, has to be respected. Some more than others, but every guy has to be respected. But even when you have the utmost respect, because this guy is a great player, a future Hall of Famer, you can fear as a pitcher, no batter. You have got to be confident that you are going to win this battle, regardless of the stuff you have, regardless of the tools or talent of the batter. The other thing is you can't throw a pitch thinking, I hope I don't make a mistake. I hope I don't miss over the plate because it's going to get crushed. You've got to take the mound. You've got to decide the pitch you want to throw and where, get the sign from the catcher, and then have conviction to throw that pitch and that you can execute that pitch. And a lot of these things that we've already discussed have a lot to do with how much we train. Train as it regards just physical training generally, but train as it regards our skills as well. Because again, tools and stuff doesn't always equate into skill. That's part of the process of developing. And that process often takes place a lot longer than just minor league baseball. Now, the next section is titled The Learning Curve. And it opens with Reggie Jackson asking Bob Gibson a question. Let me ask Bob, how would you describe the art of pitching? Now, if you're a pitcher or a pitching coach or the parent of a pitcher or the friend of a pitcher, When Bob Gibson is asked a question like this by Reggie Jackson, you want to listen up. This is how Bob Gibson responds, at least in part. It's making the hitter do pretty much what I want him to do. Being in control of the situation. Think back to controlling home plate. That's something that comes with knowledge and maturity. When you're an amateur, even a minor leaguer, a pitcher can be in control by virtue of his stuff alone. If you have a 95-mile-an-hour fastball or you can break off a Sandy Koufax curveball, you have an advantage going in because you can simply overmatch most of the hitters. Once they're overmatched, they're pretty much at your mercy. The battle is yours to lose by making a mistake that there's really no excuse for. But the further you go up the ladder, the bigger the window for mistakes and the higher the price you pay for them. And the more you have to learn and think the game. See, he's talking there about being a pitcher. He's talking about stuff is enough to a point, but you will always come to a point if you move up the baseball ladder high enough in which that alone is not going to get the job done. You've got to think. You've got to learn. You've got to be able to execute your pitches better. The next section in Chapter 1 has the heading, The Count. Again, Bob Gibson. For the hitter, it's all about getting a pitch to hit. For the pitcher, it's all about not giving the hitter a pitch to hit. Pretty simple. And what it usually boils down to, for both of us, is getting ahead in the count. That is so true. right? Hitting, we, a lot of people talk about hitting and the mechanics of hitting and same thing with pitching, and that's all fine and good. But what it boils down to, if you're going to be a good hitter, you've got to get a good pitch to hit. And if you're going to be a good pitcher, you've got to execute quality pitches that are much more difficult for a hitter 
to hit. Gibson goes on. I didn't pitch like these guys do today. I wasn't pitching away from contact. I was pitching to contact. I was trying to make the guy hit the ball. I wanted the batter to hit it. Hit it right away by all means. But you're hitting my pitch, not yours. That's the approach that I think good pitchers take. Here we go. I'm not trying to make you swing and miss at everything. I'm not trying to make you look silly on everything. I'm going to make you swing the bat. I want you to put the ball in play, but you're going to hit my pitch. You're going to hit a pitch that means it's a pop-up or a ground out or a weak, soft liner. Reggie responds, It's a race to see who can get to two first, two balls or two strikes. The second strike puts you on the defensive without the luxury of being able to let a strike go by or the option of waiting for a particular pitch. The bottom line is you don't want to get behind in the count. I asked Bob, he's referring there to Bob Gibson, what was the most important part of pitching, and he said, strike one. So did Greg Maddox. So did Tom Seaver. And so did anyone I asked. Juan Marichal, Steve Carlton, all of them. So I took that to the bank. And so should you, as a hitter or as a pitcher. It is who gets to two first. Either a one-two count, which gives the advantage to the pitcher, batting averages, slugging percentage, the whole thing drops drastically, or if it's a 2-1 count, which then swings the advantage back to the batter. The next section is titled, A Pitch to Hit. Bob Gibson says this on pages 24 and 25 of this book. I probably got away with more mistakes than usual because I was making more good pitches and getting ahead in the count and keeping the hitters on their heels. Now again, Bob Gibson had great stuff, but the lesson is something that can be taken and learned from and used to the advantage of all pitchers. If you're on the attack, if you're making good pitches and getting ahead in the count, making the hitter be on the defensive, then when you do not make that perfect pitch, you've just increased your chances of still getting the guy out. If you're nibbling, if you're behind in the count, now any small mistake is likely to get crushed. The chapter continues, and there's a section on guessing, as in hitters trying to guess what the pitcher is going to throw. And Reggie Jackson talks about that um, in saying basically he doesn't like the terminology, but then he says this, okay, maybe it's guessing if you want to call it that, but there's a reason for it. That's why I don't consider it guessing. If you don't have a history with a pitcher and haven't studied his stuff and his tendencies, you're probably up there looking for a certain pitch in a certain situation. That's what I'd call guessing. And that's not what I mean when I talk about calculated anticipation. I'm talking about tapping into your precedence, utilizing the knowledge you've acquired over a period of time, and using all of that to inform you and set your strategy. So he says, if you want to use the word guessing, I guess I won't quibble over it. But what Reggie is saying is is it's anticipating based upon what you know, based upon what your history is with this pitcher. Or if you have none, especially today, the scouting reports that you get about this pitcher. It's also watching the pitcher out there because there are times the pitcher will give you information that's not in any data and analytics. And so you're guessing if you're not taking all of that information in, but you're not guessing, you're anticipating if you're using all of that information to say, I believe he's going to throw a slider on the outer half of the plate right here or whatever the case may be. Gibson responds, here's how it goes. The first time I face a batter in a ball game, 
It's not necessarily that I'm trying to set him up or anything. I'm trying to establish my fastball and my fastball control in both my mind and his because my fastball is my best pitch. My slider's not much use if I don't make the batter respect my fastball from the outset. Now, we're running a little bit uh, lengthy here, and I could get into a very lengthy, lengthy conversation about this, but I still believe that Gibson is right even in our day, even when sometimes pitchers with a good fastball will throw their fastball only 50% of the time or maybe less. That may all be well and good, but if you do not establish your fastball, if you do not show a, a hitter that you can use your fastball in and out, down and up, then it's going to make your off-speed stuff less effective. And I agree with Gibson. You've got to let the batter know, I can put my fastball, in, at least in the general area, I can make you uh, have to take a pitch that is down and away, which is a high percentage pitch as it regards a batter making it out, and I have to respect, you have to respect the fact that I might come in inside, inside hard, so don't be diving out over the plate for that stuff outside. Now, that's just a scanning of chapter one. There's so much, and that's just chapter one. There is so much in this book. Again, I can't recommend it to you enough. Now, I don't know if I'm going to work through portions of this book in episodes that come up later down the road. I, I don't know. I hope to. But just in case I don't get to that, or I get to it to a degree, I want to go to the final chapter, which is titled 40 Years of Change, and read a quote from Bob Gibson. Baseball is always talking about the integrity of the game. That term just might be a little bit of bull. The integrity of the game seems to be defined by how many people still come to the ballparks and watch on TV. Now, I, for one, believe Gibson's definition on the integrity of the game is very accurate. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.